0: This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. Everybody to journey of life number three, and let's jump into this. So we're basing our share on Reb Chaim Sefer called Archa Siyasher. And this topic is a topic that you might think is exclusively for men. But the more we delve into this over the last little bit, I think the more we're going to expand this out to really include everybody. So this concept we're skipping a little bit in the book but this concept the topic tonight is a topic that Rhaim calls hafakha va hafakhba that if you delve into liman hatira like if you delve into t'ayra, the more you delve the more you find the kulaba that everything is in it now rhaim khrensky's life just before you get into like the actual sheer khrensky's life it was known that his whole day his whole life surround like was surrounding the idea of learning Tyra, But more than that was that his brain was just programmed to, to, to see things through the lens of Taira. What do I mean? There's, there's a few stories that are very famous stories. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on them, but Rechaim was once sitting with a person and the guy told him that he's from a certain town. And this town was in the South of Eretz And he said, oh, Rechaim said, Oh, where are you from? He said, I'm from, let's say Tzipori. I don't know. make making up the town. Oh, you're from Tzipori. He said, Oh, that's Rechaim mumbled himself. Oh, Is a mitzafon. It's from the north. So the guy said, no, I'm from the south. Like I'm from the south, like from the desert. And Rechaim said, oh, mitzahfon. He's from the north. And everyone was like, okay, maybe he's just confusing north and south. And then afterwards, when this person left, somebody turned to one of Rechaim's sons or grandsons and said, why did he keep saying that this guy's from the north? The guy kept saying he's from the south. So he said he was quoting um in Navi, it, there's a certain place and it says, Am- Mitzipori Mitzafon, that in Navi, it quotes this exact name of this town. And over there, it says Mitzafon, it's from the north. So Rechaim was talking to this guy who happens to be from the south. Rechaim was like saying to him, like, yeah, Mitzipori Mitzafon, like, yeah, from the north. Like he was just, it was a cute way of like, he heard words and the words just translated into like, where is this in the Gemara? Where is this in the Tanakh? That was just literally how he saw the entire world. There's a very famous story of a guy who came to him whose leg was really messed up and he needed to have surgery. And Rukhahim told him they should go ahead and learn the parak of Ketzad Haregal. The Pesach talks about Ketzad Haregal. How does a regal, How does a regal, foot, you know, do damage? It's a whole sugya. And Rukhahim said, go learn that and you'll be fine. And he said, what do you mean I'll be fine? The doctor said, I need surgery. And he said, just learn Ketzad Haregal you'll be fine. So the guy said, but the doctor said, I need surgery. He said, and it's a, there's a video of this. Rukhahim said... The doctors know what's in their head. But I'm telling you, if you learn Ketzad Horegal, you'll be fine. Just go learn Parikh Ketzad Horegal. You're not going to need surgery. And the guy went home, and he mastered the Parak in Gemara of Ketzad Horegal, and he went back to the doctors, and it was not, like, his foot was totally fine. It was totally healed. And Rechaim was like, yeah, I told you. It was, that's because they see on the scans. But I'm telling you that, like, if you lurk, look in the sugya, the sugya is Ketzad Horegal. Ketzad Horegal means that your foot will work. So Rechaim saw the, le- the world through the lens of Taira. And I think, I will argue, that for us mere mortals, it, it's much harder to do that. And, and maybe, maybe, you know, we can try, at least in a certain sense, to tap into a different side of what I will call hafoch which is as follows. So first of all, there's an, an interesting story of, I think I've said this before, but it's worth repeating, with Rebitson Eliyashiv, that there was a man who came to visit Rav Eliyashiv, and he was wearing a tie. And she looked at him and she said, you're wearing a tie. And he said, yeah. And she said, you know, a tie is an interesting beged because if somebody wears a, a beged and it gets a hole in it, then a beged is makabotama. But if it gets a hole, then it becomes not a beged. It's not makabotama. You put on a patch, then it becomes like it's fixed. And, and then it is makabotama. But a tie, you never see people wearing a tie that has a patch. So it would seem to me that halacha, if somebody's tie rips, and then they put on a patch, that it would not be makavel And she's, he's like, huh? Like, like this woman, she saw halacha. Like she didn't see clothing. She saw halacha. She saw things through that lens. I think even that level is probably too high for most of us. But I'm going to take it down maybe to our own certain side of things. So Chaim talks about, in this book, how you should just recognize that in your everyday life, you should know there is Chachma, you're surrounded by Chachma, whether you're a doctor, you're an accountant, whatever you do, you should know that you have Chachma in your day. And that Chachma could be what you perceive as secular Chachma, it could be psychology, it could be anything. And you should know that if you delve deep enough into the Torah, I guarantee you, you will find real Chachma for your life. And it will apply to your life and it will help your life and it will help you get through your every, your every day. You know, when your kids, I remember when I was taking math, when I was in ninth and 10th grade, it just was like not computing in my brain. I always blamed it on the teachers, but like, it just, it just wasn't working. Right. Years later, I'm an accountant. That's, that's literally my job. Right. But, but so many times I can tell you that I've been learning Gemara's and there's Gemara's in Sukha like this, Gemara's in in Aravin like this where they talk about circle and circumference versus radius, right? Versus the diameter, you know, the, the, the circumference of a circle is three times the diameter, right? There's literally pi, 3.1, right? 3.14. You find that so much chachma, like if you just simply read Gemara, you read Chumash, you read basic concepts, you find that it's literally, it's just staring at you. The teva, we know, Rheim talks about this, that the teva was built, it was 300 amas, by 50 amas by 30 amas, which if you know math, right? Proportionally, it was 300 amas and then it was a sixth and then it was a tenth, right? 300 to 50 to 30. Yeah, math is good, right? Ship builders over the course of millennium have studied and created tons and tons of ships to figure out what is the most buoyant ship, which ship, if you create it, what proportions make a ship float the best? And they came out that a ship that the length and the width and the height Come out to be a sixth and a tenth, that is the perfect dimensions for creating a ship that will float the best. It's amazing. The Torah talks about a teva. It gives you the, it didn't just say make a teva. The Torah tells you the exact dimensions to teach you, says Reb that if you're ever making a ship, which by the way, they still do, but literally that was the way you got around the world, transportation, you should just know, little it's a teva, this is exactly how you should build it for all time. And by the way, if when you were a child, or when you're maybe you're an adult, you see when kids come home with like these little parsha sheets, they have a picture of the Teva, right? So picture a Teva in your mind, right? It's a very wide boat, right? And usually in the front, they have like this like thing, but which is not necessarily the case that it had like, a right? So let's assume it was, it was rectangular for a second, right? If I asked you in your mind, tell me where is the door to the Teva? Where is it? Picture it. Where is it? Usually what you see is this massively wide boat, because it's a picture of a bunch of Hasidish men getting into the Teva, right? And then you see a whole bunch of like hooligans that are surrounding the Teva with like their pitchforks because they were trying to stop Naya from getting into the Teva, right? And you have the animals running up this massive ramp, right? The animals are running, right? And then where, where is this where is this door usually? It's right in the middle of like the, the massive Teva, right? Says Rechaim, it's absolutely not true. If you look in the Midrashim, you see that the door to the Teva was on the narrow side. It was not on the wide side of the Teva. Why? Because it's teaching you that whenever you're building a space, you always put the door in the, in, in the place that's narrowest. Because if you put it in the widest area, you lose that entire area for usable space. And therefore, it's just a waste of space. So even when Hashem told him to build the Teva, he told him exactly where you should put the door, which is in the most narrow space. When, I was, when we were making our deck, so we had a guy come to the house and he was like sketching out the deck. And he kept saying, I want you to work with me. Like, where do you want the steps to be? And we were like going here. And every time it took probably a few hours, if I would have know, read this book before, I would have known this, right? To like come out, how many times we put the, the steps in a place where it just made the whole area unusable. And then the guy's like, no, I don't know why this is just not working for me. This is just not working. For me. And then at the end, we came out that if you put it in this, in this corner, you'll maximize the space for the entire deck. Unbelievable. Literally, it's a puzzle in the fumish. It just tells you if you're ever making a space, you should make sure to put it in this thing. Architects will tell you the same thing that hallways are a big waste of space. And if you want to know how to how to design a room or design a floor, you always want to make sure that you limit the amount of wasted space, which includes doorways and hallways. This is literally like every day we experience this, we see this, we look. We don't necessarily hop that the Torah is talking to us in this manner. We learn. And we hear these stories and we talk about And and we learn all these things But Reb Chaim is explaining that When you listen to the words that it's telling you You oftentimes will find things That literally just apply to your everyday life you, I'll just give you a few more examples Because I found this very fascinating He talks about that we know That if a person, the Pasuk says If a person builds a new house If a person builds a vineyard Or if a person gets married Then he's Pata from going to war Reb Chaim says that's very nice but it's also telling you that the way a person should live their life is that they establish themselves, that they build a house. Not necessarily we keep to this today, but they should build a house, meaning they should have a place to live, make sure that they have shelter and food, and then they should get married. And if you didn't yet figure out shelter and food, then you're not ready to get married. That's the lesson that the Torah is telling you, right? Right. Or Right. Certain times you should be forceful and certain times you should not be so forceful. Certain times you should talk sweet and certain times you should not talk sweet. Every situation when the puzzle says, there's a lesson there to tell you that in this place you should talk this way. Vayadaber is a different lush, and you're speaking with a different tone. And if you analyze every vayimar and every vayadaber, it will teach you in every scenario of your life how you're supposed to teach. And then he spoke to him. What does that mean? Says Before you ever speak to somebody, you should always ask them if it's a good time to speak. you be like, hi, is it a good time to speak? And then you should tell them what you want to say. You don't just jump straight into a conversation because the Torah is teaching. that's it. not, it's not hearts. You don't just jump into a conversation. You say like, hi, you have a minute for me? Yeah. Oh, you do. Okay, good. It's, it's a good time. I have five minutes now. And then you get into the conversation. This stuff is steering at us, but we just don't, we don't take the time to necessarily, you know, delve into this. I just thought it was very fascinating. And I'll just give you another couple of ones. Okay. Rechaim says that Yaakov, you know, comes to stay by Lavan and he's by Lavan for 30 days. And then after 30 days, he says to Lavan, now I have to figure out what I'm doing here. Like, what am I doing for the rest of my time here? And they came out that you're going to work together. Okay, fine. I'm going to work for you. And this is going to be the arrangement. Wonderful. Why? Says Rechaim. You should never, ever, ever be a guest in somebody's house. For more than 30 days. After 30 days, you've overstayed your welcome. And it's time to leave or make a different arrangement. But you should just know, after 30 days, it's not working anymore. By the way, in the, in the story of Yaakov and Lavan, you find that Yaakov was so midacte when he, when he negotiated with Lavan, down to every last piece. But when it came to, to Lavan, Lovan was always very agreeable. The Medrash says he was always very agreeable. Yaakov said, I want to do this and this and this. And that. I was like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Why? Because I'll say because Yaakov intended to pay his debt and therefore he was very careful. What did the contract say? Lovlin had absolutely no intention to pay anything. So he was like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, why not? I was just dealing with somebody in business and he told me he, he was dealing with somebody else and who was not such a straight you know shooter. And he said, oh, this guy was promising me the world. And then I said, yeah, interest. Yeah, interest. Compounding interest. Yeah, compounding interest. Penalties. Yeah, penalties. Yeah, interest. Whatever you want. I said, yeah, because the guy had no intention to pay you. He's like, yeah, how did you know? I said, well, because that's the story. The story of and is the guy who's always so agreeable is the guy you have to be the most weary from. The guy who says, I need to review the contract. I have to speak to my lawyer. Let's slow down. That's the guy who's safe. That's the guy who's safe because that guy actually intends to work with you. So- you find, literally, says Rukhain, that the Torah is not just for these abstract ideas or for these nice little vartlach. If you want to know how to actually live your life, you should know that the Torah is filled with Chachma. And if you slow down and you actually read through, whether it's the Psukim or the Mamre Chazal or Advar Torah or anything, you should know that there's tons of Chachma that's staring at you in the face. And you just have to slow down and take the time to read it and digest it. And then the Torah becomes Teres Chaim. It becomes a way of life, a way for you to actually live your life in a way that is maybe different than you lived before. But what, what struck me over the last like few weeks as I was like thinking about this idea and also going through Pirkei Avos is that it's very interesting if you think about it, that a lot of times what you find is that what might be counterintuitive is actually the ways of chazal what does that mean it means like we i'll give you a small example like we live in a world where if i said to you how do you become rich right go on youtube and type in don't go on youtube but go on youtube and type in how to become rich right So how to become rich you'll find like people like they're wheeling they're dealing right the best way to make money today is not on amazon it's because you do this and this right and they tell you like all these like you know shortcuts or these get rich gurus right look at chazal right what is the way to get rich? Because I'll tell you straight out, the person who's rich is the person who's not very focused on money. You're focused on money, you should know you're never going to be satisfied, right? The guy who has, right? asher, you should, it's really an internal Avada of working. Are you happy with what you have in the bank today? Because if you're not, then even if you accumulate more, you're going to always take more risk. You're going to take more risk. You're going to lose some of your money. It's that like counterintuitive. The guy who's always focused on money, he's not rich at all. The guy who's happy and he's like, I'm good. That's the guy who we consider rich. You're satisfied. You're good. You're wealthy. Wonderful. Right? The guy who is running after covet, says the Mishnah, Kavad is going to run away from you. The guy who gives covet to other people, Ezehu Mekhubad, Hamachaveh Dasabriyaz. You give covet to other people, that guy is the guy who everybody has respect for. Literally the exact opposite from YouTube. You know what I mean? Like All the things they teach you, like charisma, this is how you gain charisma. Okay, Very nice. Beautiful. Like, it's absolutely not true. All the things that they're teaching you are the things that in the secular world seem like so glamorous. Like, the term is like a lot of times, like, no, it's not true. You want to be the person that people respect? Be humble, be the person who stands up for other people, give respect to others. The person who's haughty and who's out there may have a lot of followers, but it doesn't mean that that person's actually respected. And it just also struck me that if you look into a classroom of people teaching and people learning, Right. So you would think, who's the smart one? It's the teacher. And who's the dumb one? It's the students, right? Because I'll say it's exactly the opposite, right? (inaudible) E'zahu chacham, Hallay made me call Adam. The smart, the chacham is the one who's learning. The one who's giving over the information has absolutely nothing to gain. The one who's giving over the information can be potentially dumber than the person who's getting the information. Because the one who's getting the information is soaking up, they're open, they're willing to learn. The person who's teaching, that person may not be open and willing to learn from other people. They may not be the chacham. It's interesting that Chazal oftentimes you find the things that you think are just intuitive oftentimes are not intuitive. I remember when I went to learn by Rabbi Yislev Berkowitz in Eretz Yisrael and I came into him and I told him that he gives you a three, basically he gives you a three minute meeting. That's your interview, the three minute meeting. And he says, why should I take you into this call So my goal at that point was to be in call for maybe a year, maybe year, year and a half, I don't know, something like that. And we'll see where life takes me. Like, we'll go from there. My family is in accounting. So the goal was that I was going to one day become an accountant. He asked me, he said, why should I take you into this call? So I said, well, my family's in accounting. And one day I'm going to become an accountant. And he's like, really? Then this call is not for you. We don't teach accountants in this call. We teach people that are serious about their learning. So I said, okay, fine. Okay, fine, I hear you. You know, if you have such a great product, you'll sell it to me. But fine, for the time being, I'm not an accountant. I'm 100% here, ready to sit and learn. No problem. I was there for almost five years. And at the end of the fifth year, I was ready to not become an accountant. I was ready to just stay in Ertzajal. I even asked him, Shaila, if I could keep one day Yantif because we stayed for a few years straight. We didn't go home for Pesach. I said, I'm ready to stay. And our said to me, no, no, I'm sending you back to America. I said, back to America, but I'm ready to like give up and not become an accountant at all. He said, No, 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 no. You you have to become an accountant. I was like, Five years ago you told me I should not be an accountant. <laughs> and now you're telling me that like I should be an accountant? And he's like, Yeah. While you were here, you had to not be an accountant because or else your head would be in fifty places and you'd be taking all these, you know, accounting courses. You need to be here. You're learning. But when you go back to America, then you have to have your base. That will be like your base, your parnasa, your day-to-day thing, and then you'll do other things. That's how you'll be matziah in America. It's like one second, it's like this, is all counterintuitive. And the key, I'll tell you the key. The key is is that at the end of the day, when when you see something very shallow, it it, it sparks, it glitters, you want to grab onto it. But when you delve into something, and I think this is the key to hafokha the hafokha, when you delve into something and you think about the pnimius of that thing that's when you're able to like really get like, like the diamond that's in the rock. Meaning to say the intuitive thing is, grab something. The intuitive thing is you want to be respected, you have to dress a certain way. You have to carry yourself a certain way. You want to be rich, you have to do a certain thing. That's like the fast answer to things. When somebody explains to you that wealth, riches, yeah, there's a lot of people that are wealthy, but they have no menucha. Mar and mar right? They explain to you the sugya of wealth. They explain to you the sugya of, of, of respect. They explain to you the sugya of a relationship. They explain to you when to yell and when to be calm, when to bite your tongue and when to say something, when to stand up for yourself and when to let something slide. This is a sugya. It's not something that's just like, oh, you know, everybody just be mavatar and everybody just, you know, blindly follow the leader. And no, you stop and you think and you you digest this like a sugya. And one of the things that I found learning by Riberkowitz was that, Everything is a sugya. Chana is a sugya. Hilchas Shabbos is a sugya. Raising your family is is a sugya. Feeling good about yourself, confidence is a sugya. And if you stop and you think and you're you're ready to like be mavato yourself to the sugya, at the end you will find that everything makes sense. And then let's take this to the next level. There's a concept. It's funny. I was just learning a Gemara in Irvin, and the Gemara says literally. A lot of ideas which correspond to this concept of hafokhba, hafokhba, and I thought it was just very beautiful. The Gemara says, We're familiar with the song, but it's really a plastic, right? Ki karav right? We're not going to sing it. Ma'id. Bificha, Ubilvavcha, Lassay. So when is something, Kikaravela, hadaver Ma'id? When is something close to you? Bificha, when you speak about it, Ubilvavcha, and when you internalize it, La La'asaysa, in order to make it practical. What does that mean? This is what struck me. Is that a lot of people, if I said to you that you have a chiyav of Talmud Torah, you don't have a chiyav of Talmud Torah. But like you have a portion in the Torah. As a woman, you have a portion in the Torah. As a wife, as a mother, you have a portion in the Torah. You'd be like, yeah, my husband, he learns. And then I go get the schar for, you know, for whatever it is that I supported him. No, you should know that you each have chachma in the Taira, that is accessible to you on a daily basis, and if you walk around and you talk about ideas and you digest those ideas, and those ideas become a part of you, u'b'ilvavcha it becomes a way that you raise your children, a way that you that you set up your homes. That is Taira. That's not coming from some secular guru somewhere out there that's speaking. It's coming from we have a system to every single thing. In Tyra, I once spoke somewhere, a person before me got up and was giving over a lot of very, very nice sounding marriage ideas. Very, very nice. But they were so trafe and so wrong that when I got up to speak, I, I just went straight into it. And I just said my piece, which was exactly the opposite of what this person before me spoke. And the people in the crowd were looking at each other like, what's going on over here? Like this guy says A and then this guy says B. At the end, the, the, the speaker before me came over to me and said, Where, Where'd you get this idea from? Like, it's exactly the opposite of John Gottman and Sue Johnson, and oh, he's quoting all these people. And I said, Really? I mean, I don't know. This one's based on the Stifler. This one, the Chazanish said, This is based on a Rambam. This is a Rambam. He's like, But Sue Johnson said this. I was like, What are you talking about, Sue Johnson? Like, we have a Rambam. You know what I'm saying? We have a Rambam. We have Gedalem. We have the system figured out. Sometimes, of course, there's chachma in the world, chachma bagay and taman, We have to believe that the world has chachma. But we have within our own world so much chachma that we have to make the chachma part of us. This past Pesach, I was I was on a program and a guy named Yudi Spiro came over to me and he shared with me a vart, which I thought was a very beautiful, vart. I've been thinking about this vart a lot and I want to give him a shout out because this vart is really powerful. He said that we all know that it says, how do you understand those words? It's a love your neighbor like you love yourself. This is a huge klal in the Torah. How do you understand that? I think most people would understand that what it means is, is that that loving your neighbor like you love yourself, meaning having a relationship, with somebody else. Zekal is, is basically the essence of the Torah, right? Who said these words, by the way? Rabbi Akiva, right? And we're all familiar with Hillel, that when the guy came to Hillel and he said, I'll be Megayer if you teach, teach me the whole Torah on one foot, what did Hillel say to him? Alakha, savid. right? Whatever you don't want done for yourself, don't do to somebody else, which basically was saying that the entire Torah can be encapsulated in a relationship, right? So everything is a relationship. Shabbos is a relationship. And, and, and Twilin is a relationship. Everything that you see in the Torah ultimately is a connection to Hashem. The way you dress, the way you feel, everything is a relationship. But he came over to me, Yudi Spira, and he said to me, he said, I have a different shot of this. Okay, this is his shot. He said, you'll notice that the psychology of a person is that when you have something that's yours, like your children or your brother's or your parents, maybe, maybe your parent's not. But usually, when it comes to like children and 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 siblings, you oftentimes think they are the cutest people in the world, right? You go like, my nephew is like the cutest one year old ever. He's not, okay, but you think he is because he's your nephew. It's the the tava of a person is that they become very very close to the thing that's theirs. The Gemara even talks about this, right? That that a person wants. A That a person wants his own thing more than he wants nine of the same thing from somebody else. There's a value to your own thing. You want to drive your own car and sleep in your own bed. As great as it is to go on vacation, when you're in your own bed, there's a certain gishma. Like you're back in your own bed, your own house, your own world, your own food, right? You could go to like the best restaurant, your own food, your own drinks, your own stuff. It's yours. And yours has a certain affinity to you. This is what he said. He said, you should love your friend as if he's yours. The same way you love your, your purse, the same way you love your car, the same way you love your clothes, because it's yours. It's specifically yours. You have an affinity to it. That's how much you should love your friend. You want to know the secret to loving your friend? Is you say, he's my friend. You don't mess with him. He's mine. Which is, by the way, when somebody says something about your friend, you get very upset. You go, don't talk about it like that. You're like, yeah, but you know what she did? Doesn't matter, right? You all of a sudden you stand to their defense because it's yours, it's your friend, right? As if it's yours. This is the of acquiring Tyra. You want to know how you acquire Tyra? You take an idea and you make it yours, like it's yours. It's your idea that you make it yours and you internalize it and you think about it and you chew it over. And once the idea becomes yours, it has a certain geshmak, a certain chavivas. I remember the first day that I went to check out our Berkowitz's I'll go back to this. Our Berkowitz gave a share. And every day he would give three shioram, he'd give halacha share in the morning, a share in the afternoon, and then another halacha share right after that. And in the hashkaha share, on the first day, I remember our Berkowitz said, he said, I want, I want you to know, this is based on a maral, I want you to know that in life, there's a huge difference between giving and sharing. This is what he said. There's a huge difference between giving and sharing. When you give, usually you give, and then there's the end of the there's the end of the pasuk. You just say hatsacharava. Somebody comes to your house, you give them tzedakah. You give, you say goodbye. When you share, if you watch two kids that are let's say on a playground, and one of them says, "Can you share with me?" The kid could either give, right, or he could sit down with him, and he could put the bag between them, and he could say, "What's mine is yours. I'm sharing with you." This is now ours, And the two of them are eating out of the middle, but it's joint. It's me and you are both eating the same snack. You don't even know after a while who's, who's it is, who brought it to school that day. That kid, that second kid, he's not giving. That kid is sharing. And a kid that shares will have a friend for life. A kid that gives, a lot of people are gonna take advantage of him or he's gonna grow resentful. That relationship is not gonna get to the level of somebody who shares. And our Berkowitz went on to talk about how in marriage, there's a difference between giving and sharing. And you should never, ever give your spouse. You should always share with your spouse. Your your spouse says you don't give them time. You share the time. You make it that you want to do it. It becomes yours. It becomes joint. It becomes a marriage idea. You don't ever give your children. You sit down with your children. You talk to your children. Every single thing in life can be broken between givers and sharers. And the relationship between those two is as far as night is from day. That was his idea. I walked out. I was like blown away. I said to my wife, we need to take this idea and apply this to every single thing we ever thought we know in our life. I want to digest this with you. What does it mean to be a giver versus a sharer? A giver versus a sharer. How do I give to you versus sharing with you? How do we give to our children versus sharing with our children? This idea for the last like 16, 17 years of my life was like spinning through my brain. This is one of a thousand ideas that, that he would present on a silver platter every single day. It's all there. The Torah is there for the taking. There's so many ideas that every single person has a chiyav, a chiyav to tap into. Do you have to open a gemara? No. Do you have to open a mishnayis? No. If you're a woman, you don't have to do those things. But, but, but the chilek of the Torah, the idea of how to be a mother, how to be emotionally regulated, when to raise your voice, when to be calm, this is this is spelled out over here. Yes, there are psychologists. Yes, there are secular books. Yes, of course, there's a lot of Chachma in the world. But if you want to know where it really lies, there is so much Chachma that is staring at you right in the face, and it would be worth it for a person to delve into this. And I'll just end with one last concept. It's actually cute because this idea was a Kasha that I had, and I had this this Kasha for many years, and then I heard our Berkowitz ask this Kasha and give an answer. And I was like, this is why it's so beautiful to learn by somebody like him, because a lot of the things that you think of in the back of your mind, not only did he think about it, but he gives you such a potent answer. His kasha was as follows, is that we know, we've it recently, that the halacha is, is that a navi shaker, a navi who lies, we know that he's chay Misa. So what does that mean? It means a guy gets up and he says, I had a navoa. What was your navoa? Navuah is that tomorrow there's going to be a thunderstorm. Comes tomorrow, it's a beautiful sunny day, right? We say, oh, you're a navi shaker, we take you and we kill you kasha is that guy just seems like looney tunes (laughs) right wakes up in the morning he stands on a soapbox takes out a microphone he says everybody should know it's gonna rain tomorrow and then it doesn't rain that guy's not a nubby shaker he's just he's just out of his mind right he's crazy he's just a liar either he's a prankster or he's a liar imagine if you took every person that told a lie who predicted something wrong and we killed them you'd be like what's going on over here that can't be what the terror is saying So how do we differentiate between a Navi shakar and a person who just simply lies? That was the kasha. So I was thinking about this kasha for a long time. And then one day, a is giving a and he asked this kasha. And he says, Rabbi let me explain to you the difference between a liar and somebody who's a Navi shakar. A liar is a person who simply lies. A Navi shakar is a person who has nevuah. What does it mean to have nevuah? To have Nebuchadnezzar, a person has to become so shakua, so integrated with the words of Hashem, with the feelings of Hashem. They have to get into a certain mind frame where they're literally, they're dreaming of Hashem. They're dreaming visions. That becomes like you're seeing a vision, you're hearing voices, and then you have to decipher what that, what that message is, which is why the neviim would oftentimes, well oftentimes say, right, in my Mara, like in this, in this vision, I saw this. And in this vision, I saw that. What does that mean? It means I am so drinking Hashem. I am so smelling Hashem. I'm so thinking of Hashem. That everything that goes through my brain is Hashem. And I felt and I saw. And this was the feeling that I had. Such a person. is now you have Nebuah. Today, we don't have Nebuah. But that was what they used to have. Like on a smaller level, like Rav Chaim it's known that he once went to sleep and he woke up and he said, I'm ready to make a see him. See him. You just fell asleep. He said, I, I went to sleep and I drummed through the Homo Brachas. I'm ready to make a see him right now. Right? His whole brain was learning. So he's sleeping. He's dreaming about that. that. That's what goes through your mind. It's the only thing in your brain. That's a Navi. A Navi Shakar is somebody who does have Navua, meaning they are very dialed in to, Hashem, to a degree but they also are dialed into netflix and this and whatever so all of a sudden their brain waves are getting a little warped so what happens is they're having visions but those visions are totally off so they see a storm and they say oh there's a storm coming tomorrow no that wasn't the navua the navua was was that there's a proverbial storm or that there's something else going on and therefore they're verbalizing things which shows that within your navua you're tainted you're not seeing things that, with the clarity that a navi needs to have that Misa. So he explained that idea, and I was like, well, that's very powerful. But besides the answer, I just want to end with this idea is that what does it mean to have let's call it das tyra or to ask a shaila and get like answer? The answer is is that a person's avida? I'm gonna I'm gonna argue this is not just for men, this is for men, women, and children. A person's avida is to become saturated, saturated, not with divri tyra like a vertel or a vart but with things that are actually like the things that you can actualize, that you can say, I heard this idea. It's now becoming a part of my day, a part of my life. I'm going to have like on my phone, like a little thing that I can write down. Like, don't forget this idea. It's hanging on my wall. It's like a slogan in my house. Don't forget to become a sharer, not a giver. Because now I understand the difference between the two. And if you slow down every day and you took, I would argue five to seven minutes, you can go on Torah anytime. You can go on Meaningful People, Meaningful Minute, Living L'Chaim. Do whatever you want, right? And you said to yourself, I want to find a bit, a bit of Tyra. Chachma for chayim, Chachma that will help me live my life on a day-to-day basis in a way that I'll be able to, like, see the world different, process the world different, get through mindness, yinness, different. If a person does that every single day, a person literally will be able to transform their day. It's all there. And if you don't have an answer to something and you can't find it on your own and you ask a question, you should be advised that when you ask somebody who is saturated with these kinds of things, then you're getting das You're getting an answer from somebody who they are surrounding themselves with these mamre chazal, with these guiding lights. But somebody who just simply uses these words just to justify something that's cruel or that doesn't sit well with you and it doesn't seem to make sense, that guy could be the Navi Shaker. That could be the guy that, yeah, he was able to quote this and this and this and he could sell you on, on, you know, on the Brooklyn Bridge. That's not what, what Chazal are referring to. They're referring to somebody who gives you an unbiased, real answer to something. That's the beauty of the Torah. And there's a chaylech for every single person, every single day. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.